listening to Thriver Podcast, the company culture podcast where each unique episode brings you engaging topics that a new host and guest will connect on. Learn what drives a strong workplace culture through leadership, diverse experiences, personal stories, and much more. everyone. My name is Olivia Bordelazzo and I'm the marketing manager here at Thriver. Joining us today is VP of People at Lupio, Alexis McDonald. Hi, Alexis. How are you doing today? I'm great. Hi, Olivia. So happy to be here. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. On this episode, we're going to be talking about some culture-related topics, specifically on the idea of coaching, how managers can effectively coach to build stronger and more functional teams. Um, but first, I do want to get to know a little bit about you. So if you can just share your story, your experience being in people, <laughs> um, what that means, um, anything. So absolutely. So I actually started my career in, I always say, especially to sales folks, I started my career as a very average salesperson um, at a company called Intuit back in, I'm dating myself, but back in 2005, I worked as an SDR um, at a company called Intuit. I was on the QuickBooks team and I learned really, really quickly um, about just how important the sales function is and how tough it is and how much grit is required. And while I was in that role, I was really inspired by the company that I was working for, which into it, which was a very culture forward company. And I was just looking around, you know, here I am, I'm 22 years old and I'm looking at this company that does everything to build culture and they have, you know, recognition, they have great coaching models, they have good training opportunities, they have all this stuff. And I, I just thought like, is this really the workplace? Like, why do adults always complain about the workplace? Because this is like wonderland. Like it just seemed amazing. Um, so that's where I really got inspired to, um, to actually shift my career into culture because I just saw what a, what an incredible culture they were building. And then I ended up moving into various HR roles. I worked in a number of different industries. I worked in travel, um, back in the, you know, in 2008, 2009, 2010, back in the the tough years in in, a, in the recession. Um, so I worked in travel. I worked in transportation later on, and I all and I spent about six years working in media and um, worked in HR at CBC, um, which is a media company in Canada that your listeners will probably know a lot about. Um, and, but all that time, I really wanted to move back to tech. So back in 2018, I made the shift back to tech and, um, joined Lupio as, uh, to head up their people team. So you said you started, I guess your first experience in tech and understanding what a good culture was, was in 2005, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, cause I feel like 2005 isn't that long ago yet. I feel like I don't remember hearing anything about the word culture or even building what an organization, what their culture looks like. So did they, were they just ahead of the time or was that indicative of 2005? No, I think you're absolutely right. You're bang on it. Um, it was, they were very ahead of the time. And I, I very quickly learned as I shifted into other environments that, you know, more traditional environments can sometimes deprioritize engagement and culture initiatives. And I think that that to me, um, 
I always remembered my short time at Intuit as being a really, really formative years for me in terms of how to build great culture, just from the perspective of being like, you know, a low level entry level, I should say, um, sales rep. Like I really saw how much work they did to, to build a great workplace. So it was very inspiring for me. And I always kind of felt that, you know, oftentimes companies aren't trying companies that aren't, aren't putting a ton of effort there. They're not trying to deprioritize it. They're just distracted with other, with other activities. So my, um, my focus has always been to figure out a way to ensure that culture and um, the employee experience and the candidate experience is top of mind for all leadership teams. So that's been my, that's been my focus at Lupio and it's been, it's been great. I also think that starting with a great culture and then experiencing maybe more traditional culture mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Yeah. Typically it doesn't happen. I feel like, you know, for example, my experiences, I always started more traditional. So in my head, I always thought, oh, this is just how it's, how it is. This is how yeah. it's been. Maybe you hear about some other culture, but you almost don't believe it until you finally experience it. But I think experiencing it first, then you really feel like, okay, I can make a change. I can do something different because I've seen both sides now, right? Totally. Really inspiring. It was a really inspiring time. And it also um, spoiled me a little for what was to come. So I think, I think I always knew like it exists. It's out there. We can make this happen. And, uh, and there's a lot of companies that are. So, yeah. So from there, I know your title is people at uh, Lupio, but I mean, you do hear people and culture and I have been seeing more people, just people. Why was there, why was that choice made? Or was it a choice to remove culture in in that title? Yeah, that's a great question. I've had in previous companies, previous organizations, uh, the departmental title was people and culture. And you're right; those are that's often a naming convention that is used. And I use the word culture all the time. Like it's a big part. It's a huge focus of mine. It's a huge focus of our team. But you're right; it isn't in our title. It was never in our title. We used to. Uh, our full team's title used to be people operations. Um, and as our team has grown, we now have a sub team that's people operations and our full team is the people team. But we've stuck with people because really at the end of the day, culture is owned by every single employee. And every single leader at a company has an ability to both own and influence culture. No HR team, no matter how great they are, and I'll use the term HR and people kind of interchangeably um, because, you know, I've been around for a little while and it's, uh, it's, it's ingrained, but no people team, no HR team can own culture. I think it's, it's just not, uh, it's just, it's just not possible. And, and I really believe that when we think about like what culture is really about and what, like what is under culture, what is culture, we really start to understand why it's impossible to, to own it. I really like that. I remember um, you told me this before, and I I like the 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 mindset of HR not owning culture. I think the more I think about this, actually, is that I I look at culture almost like your own well being, and mm-hmm. your well being is you are the person who takes care of your well being. But mm-hmm. your organization or HR they kind of facilitate to make yeah. sure that that's healthy. So it's like. The HR can be the facilitators of culture and they can make sure that, you know, the, the organization is flowing positively, is going in the right direction. But at the end of the day, everyone has to take part in the culture. You can't just show up and 
not participate, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I often hear the term scaling culture. So if folks in, in tech, their company is growing and they're going like, how can we scale our culture? And that term makes me giggle a little bit. Like it feels a bit like an oxymoron. What does that mean? Because you can't, it's like scaling oxygen, you know, it's there <laughs> no matter, you know, it's there. Whether you're doing things to build a great culture or not, you have a culture. The culture is there. It might be terrible, um, but no matter what you're doing, it's there. So scaling it, it's really about behaviors. And that's what I believe. That's what we really believe at, at Lupio is that culture is about behaviors and behaviors that, you, you know, you see frequently and also the behaviors you don't tolerate. So it is, culture is really, really about behaviors more than just this nebulous thing that we, we refer to. It's like much better to get specific. So let's get into behaviors. <laughs> so um, how do you maybe identify behaviors or identify the behaviors that you want the culture to, to have? Um, what's yeah. that process like? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think in many ways it starts with values. It starts with the company values that you have, and that's a whole podcast. Um, but I think the other thing though, like just to get a little more tactical for listeners of yours that might be manager level, it's like the values are typically set. Like if you're a manager, you're not going to go ahead and change the values now. Like we hope they're great. We hope lots of people have spent time thinking about it and but the values are probably done. You and your team, so say you're a new manager, you've got, you know, whatever number of direct reports and you are noticing that there's a culture developing that you want to shift or there isn't the right, you're not seeing the right behaviors. I think I'll give an example that might be, that might be helpful, helpful as a way of just kind of like illustrating, illustrating this. So a couple of years ago at Lupio, we do our employee engagement survey. And we got a result in our employee engagement survey that said that folks felt that they weren't getting recognized or we didn't get as high of, sco of a score on the question of, are you getting enough recognition from your peers and manager? So broadly, and we were shocked by this because we feel like, you know, recognition is a thing we do really well. Like we do that. We must do this. But when you do an employee engagement survey and your employees tell you something, you must listen. So we looked at it and it was leading up to our annual company retreat. And this is, this is a couple of years back. This is pre-COVID. So we we're all in a room together at this annual company retreat. And what I, I worked with my CEO on this actually, Zach Hamraj, and we actually built a moment into a presentation where I was standing up in front of the company and I was talking about our employee engagement scores and shared that we weren't as high on recognition as we wanted to be. And we said, everybody just get out your phones. And we used our internal tool. And I asked every single employee to recognize a peer right then. And so we stopped for like 10 minutes and there was, you know, hundred plus people in the room. We were, we were smaller then, but hundred plus at the time. And it went silent and people started sending recognitions either in a public forum or privately. We gave them the option to do either. And the coolest thing for me was standing there and watching 
a hundred people like looking at their phones and doing either typing and lots of thinking faces. And then like four minutes passes, five minutes passes and people just start smiling and start looking across the room. And cause they started noticing that they were receiving recognitions. So that was really, really, that was like a really good kick starting moment to say like, look, we got to focus on this. Managers do, peers do, we all need to recognize each other. We now have like that question is one of our highest scoring questions. We've integrated um, recognition into our quarterly impact award program where uh, loopers will nominate their peers through giving recognition to um, to win our quarterly impact awards, which is a, a process where five loopers win, win an award every quarter for their impact. Um, so yeah, that was just a, a little example of like note, name what you're trying to change, give them a moment to start to shift the behavior and then like really try to reinforce after the fact, um, how you, how you keep doing that. So anyways, I know I think that's, I think that's a great example. And I think that first of all, employee engagement, sorry, employee engagement surveys, you called it, you said, yeah. Yep. I think those are so important, not only just to have it, but like you said, you have to, you can't just do it and just put it aside. You need to actually look at the look at the statistics, look at what you're receiving, and then also be transparent with your company. And so that the fact that you guys stood up and said, this is what's happening. Let's just do this now is, is amazing. And also recognition is free, you know, I mean, yeah. recognition just yeah. recognition comes in other forms, you know, recognition could be the form of a payment of a gift card, but, For sure. but I always find that the, the verbal recognition, at least for me, it, it's so, it's so important to hear that because Sometimes, and especially now, you know, during COVID, you're working remotely. And if you're not used to working remote, you don't see that recognition, even if it's physical in the sense that, you know, someone puts a hand on your shoulder and say, good job. You know, you don't get the same kind of stimulus um, normally would in the office. So just being, being understanding of that, that fix and we're going to do this. I think that's, yeah, I think that's great. It's a great example. Yeah. You're, as you're saying that, it's just making, making me think about how like recognition is free, but it's also so, so, so important to give specific recognition because like people saying, and, and I think this is a pitfall that I've certainly done before saying great job or love it, or you're the best is, it is yeah. nice to hear, but it's, it's not powerful. You're not telling the person what you want to see them do again. But if I say, and this is like real feedback, I'm going to give you real feedback and recognition right now on the spot on this podcast is you set me up for so much. The the way this podcast was organized in advance was so helpful. The details that we went through and the um, pre-read that you sent and everything you covered was so incredibly helpful that I felt prepared coming to speak with you today. And I just so appreciate that as someone who's a newbie in this realm, it was very, very, you know, validating that I knew, I knew what to expect. So like, that's a way to give. (laughs) That warms my heart. (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad, but that's a way. And now, you know, for the next time, like, oh, I did this thing that was helpful. And now, you know, it was helpful Mm -hmm. versus just like, thanks, Olivia, you're awesome. But And it's an also incentive for me to knowing that, okay, this was helpful for this person. She vocalized this to me. I want to make sure that I continue doing that. Yeah. Um, and and that's part of motivation too, right? So mm-hmm. part of employee engagement. And I think recognition is a huge, huge factor into employee motivation as well. 
Yeah. I, I was going to ask, what do you think recognition just in general is on the scale of, you know, I'm sure there's many variables to having someone be motivated at work, but where do you think recognition lies? Mm. I would say I, that I think it depends on each person. I think some, the drivers of employee motivation are going to vary from employee to employee. So some folks might be really, really motivated by solving difficult problems, solving problems that, you know, folks before them were unable to solve. Um, Some folks will be really recognized by public recognition and some will be more more, uh, motivated by private recognition. I personally am more motivated by private recognition. It means 10 times as much to me as public recognition. And so I think that a manager really needs to understand how to motivate each of their employees. And as a manager of individuals, you can start to have those conversations. It becomes a little more difficult at a company level. So at a company level, you need to be thinking about kind of all the different ways. We both provide growth opportunities. We solve an important problem in our workplace. We, you know, set tough and important goals and we achieve them. So like we're solving for those things and we recognize and we build experiences. But at a manager level, you can say like to your, you know, however many folks you have, ideally it's not too, too many, but you can say to them, Hey, like, what's the thing that motivates you? And there's, uh, there's actually these great cards. They're called, I believe they're called career driver cards that help managers get to those motivations. And, uh, yeah, those are, those are really, really helpful, but any way a manager can get to the individual level and have the conversation with that person, I think is, I think it's time well spent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's go into the manager. Cause I know part of this episode is, is unlocking what the manager can do. Right. Um, so let's, let's look at an analogy here. <laughs> so well, how should we look at a manager? First of all? Yeah. I like to think about, I think it's tough because I think that new managers specifically new managers, sometimes go into management thinking they're going to like kind of change the game, be this perfect manager and really like do, you know, do this work of both motivating their employees and coaching their employees and, you know, building this incredible team all really, really perfectly. And I think that sometimes new managers or not new managers can put too high of a bar on themselves the analogy I like is be a coach, just be a coach. If you are like a sports coach with your team, you're off to a good start. You're going to do a lot of the right behaviors. That's a good way of looking at it because just the idea of looking at your organization more on a sports team level, looking at, you know, the athlete versus the coach and you know, I, I actually, use, I don't know if you know, but I used to be, used to be a gymnast, a trampoline gymnast, and I competed for oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, right. so I really like this analogy because I think of my relationship with my coach, which was a very good one. And a coach isn't there to make you feel bad. A coach isn't there to be not uh, hard on you in a positive way. Like they see good in you and they want to push you to get to that because they see that in you. Maybe you yeah. might see that in yourself. There's mm-hmm. supposed to motivate you. And there are so many times where there's managers that they're, you know, could be jealous or they micromanage. And it's like, in order for a team to function, your mm-hmm. coach needs to be functional as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to understand or expand on 
the importance of decentering yourself as a manager and what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the coach needs a manager needs to um, understand what their role is, and I the, why I love the coach analogy is because it is just that it is about decentering yourself. Like, where is a coach on a sports field? Like, they're not right in the middle of the action; they are on the sidelines and they are watching intensely, and then they are saying. When someone does well, they're cheering them on and building them up and telling them specifically why it was great. And when they don't, they're saying, I've seen your best work and that wasn't it in some kind of fashion. Like ultimately they're getting to, I know you can do X, today you didn't. How can we support you in doing it? And being really, really honest because I think that managers sometimes fail to give critical feedback because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I, as a young manager, definitely fell into that trap. I wanted to make sure that these people did a great job. So I didn't want to hurt their feelings. A coach doesn't care about that. A coach is like, I am here to make you do the best that you can do. So sometimes that means I'm going to tell you some tough feedback. So yeah, I love, I love that term. And yeah, decentering yourself is another great, great way of thinking about it. You as a manager need to remember that your team's success is your success. And so a manager who can step out of the limelight and really like let your employees shine is um, that to me is how you start to move through your management journey to leadership is by letting other people take center stage and shine. I, one of my very first, well, not very first, but one of my early mentors always said, we can, um, you can, you can win on your own, but we can only fail together. And, and was specifically referring to um, her as a leader and us as her direct reports. Um, but she really, really believed that like we could, you know, if I did something great, she would give me all the kudos in the world. But if something went wrong, she's like, that's now as a team, like that's a failure we share together. And it was very, it created a lot of psychological safety to take risks and to try new things, knowing that like, if you messed up, like it wasn't just you, you had, you had that support. Yeah. It's that support and also the accountability in a way, not in a negative way though. It's knowing mm. that if yeah, you fail, yeah, if you fail or if you as a team fail, it's okay. Like we're all in this together, which is where the safety is. But mm. then knowing that everyone's accountable makes you want to fight more for that team and, and push harder and work more. And that's another, I guess, another factor into motivation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not wanting to let the team down. Yeah, exactly. It's great. So we talk a lot about team (laughs) and I wanted to touch on the term family Mm. and why family isn't perhaps the the best word to use in organizations and why organizations are now uh, removing that term. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation about this and I, I think it's an important one to still, to still have. This actually hilariously was in my interview with Lupio in 2018. Shout out to Jafar and Matt, co-founders of Lupio, who interviewed me for my first job, for my job with them. They said, how do you think about family, the term family? And I said, I don't like it in the workplace. I don't like using um, the term family because family is such a loaded word. It's either you know, you can come from a really tight-knit, close family. And so then there's a ton of intimacy to that word, right? Like you don't you know, promote your family member. You don't promote your aunt. You don't fire your uncle. Like these are things that it's, it's a very intimate relationship. And I also think that 
people are from sometimes families that aren't so tight knit and aren't so um, close and like that. So that's a loaded, complicated word for people. I, I think that family creates, family is something that you can use that small startups will sometimes use to try to create feelings of trust. But team is a far better way to think about building trust because as like you just said with the analogy of the horses or team members, like you want to, you want to do the best for your team and you're working together on a shared goal. A family isn't always working together on a shared goal. So I, I think it's it's sometimes misplaced. I've also recently, there was a great Medium article I saw that talked about the term village, which is something else to kind of ruminate on. Um, but personally, like I'm sitting, I'm still sitting with team. Team works for me because, and it it really sends a message of we're working here on a shared goal. We all have a role to play. No role is more important than the other. And we all want each other to do our best work. Yeah. And I do think also reflecting on just some people's family dynamics aren't the best. Right. And then also I think on maybe a more psychological level, I'm not a, a psychologist, but when you think family, you know, there's the parental figures and then there's the children. And if you're seeing family and then you see your manager, maybe on a subconscious level, you look at yourself as a child or as the kid yeah. growing up again, but not in a positive way. You don't just, no one needs a paternal ma- manager, you know? Oh, no, no, no. That creates a weird, that's a great point. It creates a weird hierarchy yeah. uh, that we don't need to thrust into a workplace. And, and I think leadership is, while there are certainly hierarchies exist, there's org charts, have a, have a hierarchy, um, you know, really good leaders are playing a role in a team mm-hmm. and, and really pushing that team to do their best work. Yeah. And I do think another key component of the analogy or the analogy of looking at your, your organization in a more team sports team mm-hmm. you know, perspective mm-hmm. is that diversity ties more into a team than with family mm-hmm. you're, yeah. that you're that you're tied to is not as diverse as a team would be because a team is truly grabbing from different families like different people and that also creates more space for representation and then allows for better recognition because you and more empathy and understanding your your employees your colleagues better yeah, for sure. I think one one thing though that one thing that I would say though, one caution I would have about team is I always say like take what works and leave the rest. So with team, I think things that work are, you know, everybody working against a shared goal, people coming together um, to do their best work, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes like sports analogies aren't the best analogy. Sometimes sports culture isn't exactly the culture. There's a lot of problematic aspects to sports culture. It can be that uh, that we might want, not want to like replicate entirely. So again, like just, I guess I'm just saying like, take what works and leave the rest. Um, but you're totally right on diversity, diversity and inclusion. And I think one of the things that um, a lot of companies have been on, on, a, on a journey in the last several years and certainly in the last year or two, um, spend a lot more time thinking deeply about DEI. And I think diversity, equity, and inclusion, I should say. And I think one thing that the pandemic really taught us at Lupio is that when you can't all be in the same room together, you start to really see the gaps. So when we were 
in the work, in a workplace, in the same room together. We, you know, we had regular like Friday, little Friday parties. We had families coming in. We did a lot to include children, to include everyone. People would, you know, be able to share stories of their culture at these little Friday parties and do these different things. And I, I think we built a very inclusive culture back then, but as soon as you remove that moment in time and you are working uh, remotely, it really becomes about representation. It really becomes about who is on your team and, and what do you have people from, do you have a diverse team from all aspects, whether that's educational background, whether that's um, gender, racial background, LGBTQ plus community, like, do you have a diverse team in your workplace? And, um, and if not, what are you doing about it? So that became something like a big priority for us in the last year. Um, and, and we really spent a lot of time focusing first on our, well, we focused on on a number of things, uh, at the same time, but one of the biggest priorities was the talent team. So we brought in an excellent talent leader. Um, her name is Jennifer Pang Chung. Um, and she was passionate about diversity and inclusion, equally passionate about diversity and inclusion as she is about recruitment and finding great people. And I really would say to anyone leading a people team, if your talent leader isn't passionate about DEI, like that's going to show up in your representation data. So, so we brought in this fantastic leader and Yennefer knew how to foster relationships, how to build strong pipelines, how to hire the right people, and also how to build a team under her that could scale that and that could do the same thing. Um, so that, that's been a phenomenal, um, you know, a phenomenal investment and growth for us. And she's also like gone beyond her, her skill set and has helped build out our employee resource group function that we've launched this year. And so that's that's been fantastic. And then at the same time, as we were focusing on, on the talent side, we were also really focused on how do we build an inclusive environment in and connections in this remote world. And so we did a bunch of different things. We launched this little initiative called, that's totally blown up, called Lupio Hosts at Home, where loopers will teach other loopers a talent of theirs, whether it's like making pizza with the CTO or making or knitting with one of our designers or doing like out learning a workout class or, um, you know, there's been a, a bunch of them. That's been a way that people can showcase their talents and build connections together. I love that. I wrote that down. I want to take that. The loop, you said it's called Looper's Host. Obviously, we wouldn't take yeah. that, but I, yeah. love that. <laughs> I love that um, way of bringing people in in this world that we're currently living in. You know? Yeah. Highlighting their talents and finding things. What are you passionate about that is outside of work? Because if you're always doing, let's say, if you're a designer and you're just doing, you know, this is your job. But yeah. What do you like to do? You know, if you like to knit, show us, show us that. And it's so, I think that's so impactful and so beautiful to highlight someone else's passions. And and also another, going back to recognition, recognizing those, those other, um, those passions in that person that is completely outside of work. Yeah. 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 It's been a really, it's been a really fun initiative and we do other, um, we do a lot of remote engagement initiatives 
you know, we partner with a company called Wavy and we have someone on our team that's dedicated to this work. Her name is Amanda Power. And we do a lot around, you know, building fun experiences for loopers. Um, But the loop you hosts at home thing for me is one of my favorites because it's where loopers can just take center stage and showcase something they're really, really passionate about. And so a lot of it is in the kitchen, which is kind of nice. Cause when you think about getting together, like you all end up in the kitchen, right? So a lot of times people end up in the kitchen showing us how to make, you know, pasta or scones or what have you. That's awesome. And um, are these, are these virtual live events or is it someone who just pre-recorded and then uploaded it into a location? No, great question. It's live. And then we do record them and send them out afterwards for folks who missed it. But we I, live is critical because I don't know about you, but if you send me a recorded thing, the likelihood of me watching it, like it better be so good. But joining a live activity, you know, we always do it kind of near the end of the day, like around four o'clock. Joining a live activity is so much fun. Usually the, the person who's hosting will get someone else to kind of co-host with them and banter a little bit, um, which is which is fun as well. So. Yeah, definitely laugh. I think that's so cool. I, I hope our, our listeners can also pull it. And I'm curious to know how many more insert brand name hosts that show up in this. So yeah. I'm really glad that you touched on that because that was kind of my last question about some of Lupio's culture incentives and how you guys have kind of pivoted and developed or even, you know, really got down to your foundation of what your culture was during COVID. Cause I, like you said, you have to, you don't have a lot of these, these social gatherings. So you have to kind of strip it all away. And what do you have? So, and yeah, just also want to say like, we've, we've done a lot of other things around, around inclusivity and, and diversity and training. I don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's about a ton of work. It's about Learn, bringing in learning opportunities. It's about um, listening to people. It's about, you know, we have these quarterly inclusion office hours. We've, you know, run surveys. We've done a number of different things. It's a really a kind of, um, there's a whole strategy around it, but the, the work we do on the internal employee engagement side to build remote connections also builds an inclusive environment where people feel like they have an opportunity to shine and, and, uh, you know, and really feel like a team. So I have, I have one more question. It's a little off topic, but on topic. So we do this thing where we always ask our guests a consistent question throughout our episodes to understand a little bit more about you as a person. Okay. So the question is, did you always see yourself going into this profession as a child? And if the answer is no, you know, if you didn't think that you were going to be in people, you know, HR, could you find connections throughout your experience, like your childhood experiences that relate to what you're doing now? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's such a good question. So no, because I think other than maybe my kids or kids of HR people, you don't talk about that growing up. Like you don't want to, you want to be a firefighter or a newscast, a news anchor, not a, not a people professional. Um, so, so definitely not, but I think I was raised by two very career focused people. I, my mom was a therapist is retired now, but was a therapist and was, you know, very passionate about her career and about helping people. Um, and then, you know, my dad, my stepdad was, was a, a a television producer and was always, you know, very, very committed to his work. So, I spent a lot of time as a kid, like 
in their workplaces. And I've always thought like a lot of my kind of best memories as a kid was sitting there doing my homework at one of their workplaces and chatting with the people there and watching these, you know, tall grownups kind of talk. And I've always been really, really interested in the workplace. Like it's a community that is, that is just, it was always fascinating to me as a kid. So I remember being excited about the work world. And then as I mentioned at the top, like joined this very culture forward company. And so was all of everything I kind of thought would be true kind of was like, I thought this is great. And then learned it's not always great. And how do we make it better? So I think just, you know, being raised by workaholics, so to speak, made me really excited about the workplace. And also probably, you know, the fact that my, my mom was a therapist and seeing her focus on helping people and helping people develop and being honest and having integrity, those, uh, those were really inspiring themes growing up for me. I think that's a great connection. I think you pulled some really good stuff for us. <laughs> I think it's so cool to have, um, like your, your mother, you said, is a psychologist or therapist? A therapist. Yeah. She's a social worker, but she always worked as a, like a therapist in therapy one-on-one, either with kids and then later with adults. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very, that's a very cool thing. Like your dad being the TV producer and your mom being a therapist, seeing that there's community in both sides of it. Mm-hmm. levels. So yeah, thank you for answering that for us. <laughs> sure. So uh, that is all the time that we have today, but if people want to follow or reach out, where can you guide them? I think the best place is LinkedIn. So I, my name is Alexis McDonald. You can find me on LinkedIn. I head up the people team and I'm also on Twitter, but I never tweet, but I've had a Twitter account long enough that my handle is my name. So Alexis McDonald on Twitter too, if you want to see a tweet four times a year. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks again so much for joining us, Alexis. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation and I really think that our audience will take some, some good little nuggets. There's great nuggets in there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Olivia. You've been listening to Thriver Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Share your thoughts on this episode by tweeting us at Thriver Company or get to know more about us by visiting Thriver.com. Additionally, you can follow us at Thriver Company on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The choice is yours. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you next time.